Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Well, thanks for coming this evening. It's good to see uh, each one of you. And uh, even though we're all spread apart, a lot of you are sitting in your same spots that you would sit <laughs> on Sundays. <laughs> uh, I won't call out any names, but uh, no, most of you know who you are and you're sitting where you're supposed to, so well done. <laughs> but uh, good evening and a blessed Thanksgiving to uh, each and every one of you. Uh, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We didn't do it this evening, but uh, each Sunday we, we confess our uh, faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed, right? And maybe you get sick and tired of it. Maybe it becomes routine and habit and, and rote for you, and you start thinking of the billion other things that are going on in your heart and in your mind and in your life, right? Uh, maybe on Sunday as we say that, you're thinking about the lunch that you're going to eat in a little bit, or maybe the Sunday school lesson that you have to teach, or, or the, the football games that will take place afterwards, or... Uh, the distracting kids in the pews in front of you. Uh, if you're on that side, it's probably my kids that are distracting you, right? <laughs> but there is a, there is a, a beauty, a, a rich, deep beauty in the Apostles' Creed. There is a, a depth to it. Uh, we say in the first article of the Creed, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in confirmation, we, uh, we learn uh, what that means, right? Uh, Luther said it this way. He said, this is what it means. I believe that God has created me and all that exists, right? If you, if you know it, uh, you, you say it in your head with me, right? I believe that God has created me and all that exists, that he has given to me and still sustains my body and soul, my senses and all my limbs, my reason and all the faculties, the power of my mind together with my food and clothing, house and home, family and property, and that he provides me daily and abundantly with all the necessities of life, protects me from all danger, uh, preserves me out of all evil. This he does out of his uh, fatherly and divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in me. For all of this, I am bound to thank, praise, serve, and obey him. This is most certainly true, right? And we all learn that in one form or another during our confirmation days. Luther rightly notes that everything that we have from, everything that we have in our life, we have from God. Whether it is our, our life itself, the food, the clothes on our backs, our, our jobs, our families, our home, everything is given to us by God. He is our maker. He is our creator. He's also the one who preserves us and sustains us. And uh, that's what this psalm that we're going to look at this evening gets into. This psalm is a harvest psalm, and most scholars believe that it was written, well, obviously by King David, as we're going to see in a little bit, but for the, it was written by David for the Jews' annual harvest festival, which is called the, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. It's known in, in Hebrew as Sakat, right? And it's, uh, it's eight days of celebration, and it was a celebration after all of the crops were brought in. Uh, people were celebrating the abundance of the harvest. 
And I think our Thanksgiving feast is, is rightly scheduled in that sa- same time frame, right? Uh, we may not celebrate for eight days, but we do, right? If you're like us, you've got uh, Thursday, tomorrow, right? The big day, turkey, mashed potatoes, stuffing, all of the rest, right? Then you'll have leftovers Friday night. And then, uh, f- uh, or I'm sorry, uh, Thursday night, but then Friday, right, you, you, you go shopping and you take care of all those things, and then Saturday you go to the in-laws and, and do it all over again, right? And uh, could you imagine doing that for eight days? <laughs> that's, that's what they did. Uh, but the people were commanded by the Lord to journey during that time to Jerusalem and live in booths, live in tents, live in tabernacles as a reminder of their wilderness wanderings and how the Lord provided them for them during their 40 years, And also in this psalm, Psalm 65, we see the character of God enumerated. And we're going to see some of these themes that came up in the Apostles' Creed in the first article to the Creed. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 65. It's on page 449 of your pew Bible there. And um, let's stand as I read um, at least the first four verses, and then we'll get into the rest of it here in a little bit. And as I read, uh, pay attention to, to the truth that God is our Redeemer. God is our Redeemer. Again, Psalm 65, the first four verses reading in Jesus' name. Praises due to you, O God in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. You who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you chose to bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for the season of Thanksgiving where we get to celebrate uh, the crops being brought in. Maybe not as uh, intimately as the as you commanded your people in the Old Testament. Uh, we don't live in uh, tents during this time. It'd be a little bit chilly to do that. But we do look to you and recognize that you are the one who has provided us all things. Lord, help us to be mindful of that uh, tomorrow as we gather with, with family, with friends, and, uh, and this weekend in general, but then also beyond that as well. You are our Redeemer. You are our Creator and Preserver, and you sustain us as well. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can take a seat. Uh, Again, David is the author of this psalm, and he says, Praise is due to you, O God. Uh, And and then he spends the next 13 or so verses telling us why praise is due to God. And first thing he says is, God is the one who hears our prayers. Did you catch that? You are he who hears prayers. And there's a great comfort in that truth, isn't there? That God hears us when we pray. Our prayers aren't just a, a fruitless effort. Uh, we're not just shooting arrows up and, and hoping that somebody is hearing us, right? But we can be confident that the Lord is hearing us. He cares about the things that are going on in our lives. And he is intimately acquainted with, with everything that, uh, that everybody on earth is going through. And David also says that this invitation to come to God in prayer isn't limited either. He said, all flesh shall come, right? Uh, I, I, was it this week or last week, the, the population of the world finally went over that 8 billion mark, right? Think about that. I can't, I can't comprehend a billion, <laughs> a billion of anything, right? But there are 8 billion people now on planet Earth, and God is able at any time to hear the requests of each one of those people. 
And he says, all flesh, there are no restrictions when we come to God in prayer. We don't have to be good enough to come to God. We don't have to wait to get our act together before coming to the Lord. We don't have to have it all figured out. He comes, or he invites us to come as we are and to present our burdens and our blessings to him. Praise is due to him because he is the one who hears our prayer. And then verses 3 and 4, it says, God is the one who has redeemed us. Let me read this especially verse 3 again. David says, When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. David says of the Lord, you atone for our iniquities, our transgressions. And the word atone is a, is, is a really fun one. Uh, the Hebrew root word there is kofer. Kofer. And on the surface, it means, uh, it means to cover. Uh, but more than a simple blanket covering you to keep you warm, kofer refers to the way in the Old Testament that the, that the Jewish high priest would sprinkle the blood of the lamb or the blood of the goat on, on the altar, on the cover of the Ark of, of the Covenant. The blood of the sacrifices was brought in by faith by the Jews, uh, and that, that would kofer, that would cover, that would atone for their sins. Uh, the process of this is, is described in detail in Leviticus 16. And if you're aboard tonight, I encourage you to read Leviticus 16. There's some neat things in there that tie directly in with the New Testament and with Jesus. But there in Leviticus 16, these patterns are laid down. Uh, these practices are laid down for the observance of this Day of Atonement. Uh, Jews today will call it Yom Kippur. Um, if you were to read this, Leviticus 16, verse 15, it says this, Aaron shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. By this he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions and all of their sins. You see, this goat was brought in as a sacrifice on behalf of the people. Its blood was given, its blood was spilled, its blood was poured out and shed uh, for the forgiveness of people, and, and its blood was sprinkled then on that mercy seat, on that altar. And this would make an atonement, this would make a, a covering for the people. But then the, the, the rituals go on to describe it this way, a second goat being brought in before the high priest. And we read this in Leviticus 16.21, And Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all of the iniquities of the people of Israel, all of their transgressions, all of their sins. And he shall put those sins on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear all of the iniquities on itself. You've heard the term scapegoat before? Right? A, a scapegoat is a fall guy, somebody who gets blamed when all the bad things happen. A scapegoat is one who takes the fall for somebody else. And then Leviticus 16, this wasn't just a, a metaphor. Uh, it was a reality. Uh, the goat took the sins of all of the people, and they were pronounced upon the goat. They were transferred to the goat. <laughs> and these sacrifices that the Lord prescribed in Leviticus 16, all they, were, they were prescribed by him, and they were good. They could never be the be-all, end-all. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, could only look forward to the one who was coming. It was always and only a foreshadowing of Jesus and of the cross. 
And this is something the author of Hebrews understood all too well. Uh, I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter 10 and just listen for some of that sacrifice language uh, that was fulfilled in Christ. Uh, the author of Hebrews says this, For since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. And every high priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies would be made a footstool under his feet. For by a single offering, Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The Old Testament law, the sacrifices of, of goats and of grain, of, of wheat and wine, of, of bulls and, and barley, were just a shadow of the true form, just a shadow, a picture of Jesus who was coming. They could never remove sins. Only Christ can. The author of Hebrews also said this in chapter 9, For if the blood of bulls and goats, and then the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, if those things could sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The Old Testament laws, the Old Testament sacrifices of, of goats and bulls and oxen could never remove sin. We need something permanent to do that, an eternal atoning sacrifice for our sins. And that's why the Lord God sent his son, sent Jesus. Jesus came, took on flesh, lived that perfect, sinless life to become your atoning sacrifice. He died on the cross, shedding his blood for you in your place and on your behalf. He became your scapegoat as your sins were transferred to him. He who knew no sin became sin for you. He died for you that you might receive the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And you might be sitting there wondering why this evening, Thanksgiving Eve, I am spending so much time <laughs> talking about blood and sacrifices and, and things like that. And just those, those few words really, uh, you atone. Uh, first and foremost, because these are, are vitally important that a right understanding of the atonement of Jesus Christ is, is really a matter of life and death, both in this lifetime and in the one to come. or In, in eternity as well. It's something that we need to get right here. We only have one shot at. Uh, but I'm also spending a lot of time talking about this atonement of, of sin uh, because on, in the Jewish calendar, the Day of Atonement and the fe Jewish Feast of Thanksgiving, the, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, they were separated by only five days. Um, so you can probably imagine that as David is writing this psalm, he's got in mind the atonement that was just provided just a couple of days earlier by the Lord. And so David uh, give thanks, gives thanks uh, for the reality of the forgiveness of sins. And that's a truth that wasn't lost on him. And it's a truth that should not be lost on us as well. As we gather together in the next few days with friends and with loved ones and we give thanks to the Lord for all of the ways that he has blessed us, right, materially, 
don't forget to, to give thanks for the most amazing gift of all that you've received, your salvation, the forgiveness of your sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. But let's go on, though. We've got some more uh, things to cover, and we're not going to cover them <laughs> as, as deeply. Uh, the next truth that David presents is that our God is our creator and our preserver. Listen to these verses here. Psalm 65, verses 5 through 18. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. In these verses, David paints the picture of the Lord being the the creator, the maker of heavens and the earth. By his strength, he established the mountains. By his strength, he established the mountains. Um, I don't know if it's on my bucket list or not. I haven't decided yet. (laughs) I would love to climb Mount Everest, right? (laughs) It's uh, the tallest mountain in the world, uh, reaching 29,035 feet above sea level. Uh, 29,000 feet is about five and a half miles straight up, <laughs> and that's tall. Uh, the tallest structure that humans have built is the, uh, the Burj Khalifa in Dubai, and it's uh, 2,700 feet tall, less than or about half a mile, right? It's still 10% less <laughs> than the height of Everest, just to kind of put it in, in, in perspective. Everest is incredibly tall, but it's also incredibly heavy. Uh, scientists have estimated the weight of Mount Everest, and don't ask me how they figured this out <laughs> because they have big brains and I don't. Uh, somehow they did. If you could put Everest on a scale, all of that rock, without the ice and snow that covers it, but all of the rock would weigh 357 trillion pounds. And if you add on the ice and snow and everything with Mount Everest, it'd probably be around 500 trillion pounds. It's incredibly massive. And now Israel, where David lived, didn't have mountains as big as as Everest. Um, But whether it's the Himalayas or the Black Hills, mountains are still impressive. And so King David picks the largest thing that he can think of. And he says, you know what? The Lord God created and formed them. And he did so without even breaking a sweat. In the words of the psalm, David put it this way. He said, God, by his uh, strength, established the mountains. In addition to making, to creating the world and everything in it, uh, the Lord God also preserves it. David said, He stills the roaring of the sea, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the people. God is still around preserving his creation. Uh, Deism is a very popular belief in a God of some sort, in a God in general. Uh, Usually a deist will believe that uh, this God uh, created things and got them going either through some life force energy giving birth to the yin and to the yang of the universe or the Big Bang and Darwinian evolution. Uh, But however this deity got things going, they they got things going and then then God stepped back and, and abandoned his creation. 
a deist God is a little bit like my kids who will spend time building a wooden train track in our living room only to get distracted by something else, right? Supper is ready or uh, the new show is on or uh, they want to play with some other toy and so they'll leave their train track for a while uh, until they remember it, it's there. That's how you can kind of think of a, a deist God. And, um, some, some of you will know some of these people who are, are very famous in history who are deists. Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, uh, Albert Einstein, Neil Armstrong. Uh, they believe that, yes, there is a God and that this God got things going, but, but God has now stepped back and he's not involved in his creation at all. How different is the Lord God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who is described in Scripture as being intimately invested in his creation. And one of the ways that his investment is shown is, is in his preservation of, society, of creation. He stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the people. Through his awesome deeds, as David described earlier, uh, through the Lord's awesome deeds, he answers the prayers of his people. He preserves your life in the midst of the storms that come your way. He calms the raging seas of doubt, of worry, of anxiety, of fear, of depression, of loneliness, of, of financial instability. He is there for you, preserving your life in all trouble. And then finally, after describing the Lord as, as the Redeemer and the Creator and Preserver, David acknowledges that the Lord is the Sustainer of creation. If you still have your Bibles open, uh, look at Psalm 65, verses 9 through 13. And here we get into some of this harvest language here. Again, David speaking of the Lord, You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain. For so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow, and the hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows close themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing for joy. There's some really beautiful poetic imagery going on in that psalm, isn't it? And uh, some of you, I know, have this, this verse displayed prominently in your homes, right? And as we, we read these verses describing God and his sustaining care of his creation, you can almost hear the rain falling, the, the grain growing. You can almost picture that wheat or that barley filling up the hillsides. And as these provisions are gathered in, David rightly reflects on the Lord God providing for and sustaining his people. And he does it through the vocations of farmers who plant the grain, who take it up, of millers and bakers. He provides through his people, through butchers and market sellers. The Lord is providing for his people. I think it's fair to say that that today we've lost maybe a bit of the wonder, the majesty behind creation, the mystery behind creation. The more, we, the more we study, the more we know, the more it becomes ordinary. 
And I don't mean that we should stop exploring or to stop learning more. I think we should, by all reasonable, reasonable means, continue to do so, right? Uh, but as our knowledge grows, what was once awesome and extraordinary becomes mundane and ordinary. We get used to really cool things, right? We can predict the weather a, a few days out, not perfectly, but, uh, but reasonably anyway, right? Uh, we've studied how a seed germinates, and we've even watched it happen in plastic bottles. Did anybody else do that as a kid, or was it just me, right? You take soil, you put it in the plastic bottle, and a little seed right along the edge, and then you can water it and watch the, watch the seed grow. Was I the only one who did that? A couple of you did it too, right? Yeah, it's, it's really cool, right? Uh, we, we have telescopes that have, that have probed the, the farthest reaches of the galaxy, and we're able to see other galaxies hundreds and thousands of light years away. We understand the weather cycle and how water evaporates and condenses into clouds and then cools and drops as rain and, and how, that, uh, how that repeats. We've watched life even being uh, begun as a sperm and an egg are, are joined together. We've seen those things. We know those things. But you know, knowing the scientific reasons for something doesn't, need, doesn't mean that we need to lose the majesty and the wonder of the divine behind it. The Lord God has established those systems and works through those systems. And so, yes, we know that in a few days, right, it may rain or more likely snow in November, right? Uh, so we rightly give thanks to the Lord who sustains the earth by watering it. We know how a seed germinates and grows when it's planted in the spring, and we rightly give thanks to the Lord God who ultimately is causing the growth. And we know that what happens in autumn, the harvest of those crops, we know how that happens, and, and we are fed with abundance, and we rightly, again, give thanks to God for that. We go to the doctor even who prescribes medicine and treatments or might even perform a surgery on a, on a broken foot, right? And when there's healing, we rightly acknowledge the Lord's hand behind it all. In a few minutes, we get to turn this over uh, to you guys and we're going to give you an opportunity to publicly proclaim how the Lord has been providing his blessings to you. And often these provisions can frankly look mundane and ordinary, and a skeptic might just dismiss it as, as life happening. But please, don't lose the divine in the ordinary. Don't lose God who is behind all of those things. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our creator. You are our preserver and sustainer. You are our, uh, the one who intricately wove us together in our mother's womb and who causes us to grow and provides all things for us. And we thank you for the many ways that you have blessed us, uh, most of which, if we're honest, aren't even known to us. Uh, we've so uh, let the uh, become enamored with the ordinary that we've just kind of lost it. So help us to regain the wonder and the majesty of your creation and all that you have provided for us. It's in, it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.